great folks that are out doing it in other parts of the world as well. Okay, if you're ready, we're going to get back to the book of Numbers. Actually, this will be our very last message in this series on Numbers. And so you can open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. We've called this series Prime Numbers because we've just selected certain stories from the book of Numbers. We haven't covered every single story in every single chapter. This will be the last story that we cover coming through the book of Numbers. And as we do, I want you to consider this fact. And it's this, that the only thing that is inevitable in life is change. I mean, everything changes. Times change, seasons change, your taste, popularity, fashions change, music changes, dance, entertainment, lifestyles, of course, technology, everything changes. And you older folks, if you're anywhere close to my age on either side, well, just look in a mirror. Things change. <laughs> Amen? And that famous passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in the first several verses talks about how there's everything has a time and everything has a season. And there's a time to be born and a time to die and a time to plant and a time to pluck up and to heal and to kill and to break down and to build up and to weep and to laugh and to mourn and to dance. And why is that? Well, it's because things change. Things change in life all the time. And in the Bible, even the way that God dispenses his grace toward men throughout history changes. That's what we call dispensations. Well, changes also occur in ministry. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we do, the first thing I want you all to remember, and this is in your notes, is that ministry is people. Ministry is not something, and it's not some program. Ministry is people. And if God has called you to lead his people, well, then that's a high calling, and it should be taken seriously. Because at the end of the day, they're God's people. They're not your people. And specifically in the time in which we live, in the church age, well, it, it's called Christ's bride. I mean, you want to make sure you treat her well, right? So ministry is never just a job. We've actually looked at this in weeks past. If you consider ministry a job just to receive an income, well, then the Bible calls you a hireling. And we saw that in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth. Why? Because he's a hireling. And he careth not for the sheep. So the difference between a good shepherd who senses and feels the very ownership and responsibility of the very sheep that God has entrusted to him is significantly different than a person who just sees it as a job and is just in it to get what he can get. And when the times get tough, well, sorry, I'm tapping out. I'm done. Good luck to you. And that happens in life. So like Jesus Christ and the story of Israel throughout the wilderness in the book of Numbers, I think that we could all conclude that Moses was a very good shepherd. A very good shepherd. He led them through very difficult times. He dealt with constant complaining and constant accusations toward him. And all he ever did was put the congregation and the good of the congregation 
before his own personal good and his own personal preference. I'll give you the example in Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 11. This is the story of the golden calf. And the story of the golden calf, you know, Moses is on the mountain and, you know, Aaron's down in the valley with the children and, you know, they bring in the gold and they melt it and they carve the calf and they start worshiping it. And as Moses is about to come down, the Lord, you know, they hear the sound and the Lord tells Moses, he says, just get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all and I'll make you a whole new nation you can lead. And what does Moses do when he hears this judgment from God towards his people? Well, let's read together in 3211. Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Moses gets bold. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And notice, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto this people. Moses stood up for the people. Moses was certainly a good shepherd. Until ultimately... If you read to the end of Numbers and compare with Deuteronomy, you find that on Moses' 120th birthday, he finally and ultimately gives his life for the sheep. That's what he does. Well, we're at the end of our study anyway in the book of Numbers, which means we're end, at the end of the story of Moses and the wilderness. And, and what's ahead... For Israel as well, a new location and a new way of life and, and a new leader. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so the title I've given the message today is How to Transition a Ministry. Because transitions in ministry happen. There's no getting around it. And there can be various reasons, obviously, why those things happen. But today what I want to talk about is how it's to be carried out because how it's handled when there's a transition, well, that makes all the difference in the world in this success. You see, the importance of an effective transition is critical to the continued and sustained success of that ministry. I mean, Jesus understood it, right? He transitioned his earthly ministry to the church. He replaced himself and and, and his spirit with the Holy Spirit of God, the comforter. He gave us his very soul in written form in the very word of God, right? And he gave the great commission to the disciples. That the disciples, he said in John chapter 14, would go and do even greater works than Jesus had done. And you say, how is that even possible? Well, Jesus said they would. And if nothing else... We can understand that it's possible because now the body of Christ is not limited physically to just Palestine. The body of Jesus Christ is global. It's global. So what exactly are we to take away from all of this? Well, again, in your notes, it's this. Leaders come and go. But ministry must continue. Ministry has to continue. 
It's not dependent on any particular individual, no matter who you are and what role you play. And can I just encourage you today, because depending on where you're at and where you're at in the walk with the Lord and your role in ministry, if you're involved in ministry, whatever it is, there's something for you today, trust me. Because change in ministry, it's not a bad thing. As we see, God directs such things from time to time, right? So can I encourage you today, don't resist the idea of change. I know that sometimes people who spend the majority of their life in the same hometown in a homogeneous community and you're used to everything being the same all the time, when things change, you don't particularly like it. But things change, whether you like it or not. So let's learn from it. Let's figure out how we can make it a smooth transition. Amen? On the other hand, if a guy just quits and disappears without effectively setting up his successor and without preparing the people for the change, he does the people, well, and he does the Lord, a great disservice. You see, poor transitions leave the people reeling, not knowing where to go or what to do. Remember, God calls us his sheep for a reason. We need shepherds. You all may not realize it. You may not love the idea. You need pastors. That's how God set it up. They're important to the body. And God's shepherds are called to care for God's children above their own personal preference and comfort. So the prescription on how exactly to carry out an effective ministry transition is actually found in Numbers 27, surprisingly. You say, well, why Numbers 27? Well, because in Numbers 27, God specifically and explicitly tells Moses step by step what to do. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you'll follow along, we're actually going to start in verse number 12. And we're going to go down to verse number 21. I'll read you ahead and follow along. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into the Mount Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So there's literally a lot to be drawn from this, and I hope that you'll track it with the Spirit of God being your teacher. Let's just go to him and ask him to do that. Let's pray. 
So Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we do ask that you would be our teacher today, that you would take your holy word and you would just implant it into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would grow and it would give fruit, that we would hear it, that we would obey, that each of us, regardless of where we're at, would consider where am I in this story? What can I glean from this story? What can this mean to me today or tomorrow or the day after tomorrow when it, the circumstances may dictate? Lord, one thing is for sure, things always change. And we as humans tend to resist that, but oftentimes change comes because you're doing a new thing, you're doing a great thing. And while the transition may be a challenge and it may be uncomfortable for a while as we learn a new normal, uh, you've got something to teach each and every one of us. And I pray that you speak to all of our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Three simple steps. We're going to start with the very first one. The first one is vision. The first one is vision. In verse number 12, the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up unto Mount Abiram and see the land. So up until this time, Moses has known full well ever since they were in Egypt that eventually they were going to the promised land. Moses knew that the goal of the ministry was to get to the promised land. Moses heard the word of the Lord. Moses believed the word of the Lord. Moses acted upon the word of the Lord in leading his people. But Moses had never had his faith become sight until this moment. This is the moment where he actually saw. Now the spies had gone into the land and the spies had come back out and given a report. But at this point, Moses saw for himself the end of what he'd been working for his whole life. Don't you know that finally getting that clear vision had to be a game changer for him, right? It had to be a game changer. Now, literally in his life, it's at the very end. God gives him the snapshot, and then he doesn't have any more responsibility. But, but let's learn some things about vision and how important it is to this role of making an effective transition. The first point, letter A, is God's vision is always going to be prophetic. When God gives a vision, it's going to be a vision that is prophetic. In other words, the word vision, primarily used throughout the Old Testament, is going to be used where God reveals things that are yet to happen. They are things that are yet future. It's where God is leading his people to go that they have not yet achieved. The very word vision is used more frequently in the book of Daniel one of the greatest prophecy books in the Bible, than it is in any other book of the Bible, but it's used frequently throughout the prophets especially, as God gave the prophets vision of things that were yet to come, right? Now, the way that he did it back then is different than the way he does it today, but that's not the issue. The idea is, is that this vision is going to be prophetic. And in the context of this story, I want you to see that it is imperative for a leader to have a vision, and that vision is going to have to do with leading the people forward into the future. You may be familiar with Proverbs 29, 18, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Because people need a vision, but God gives the vision to leaders. That's who he gives it to. And then they carry out the vision. And if there is no vision, well, then people don't often know what to do. I didn't put it in your notes, but in Psalm 103, you can jot it down. In verse number 7, there's a very interesting verse that makes it clear that Moses got to see and understand the very ways of God. Whereas the children of Israel only got to see and understand his acts. 
And isn't that the way the common people in the congregation, they see what happens. When something pops up and something happens, they all see it and understand it. They see the acts. Whatever God's doing, they see it after it happens. But no, Moses knew not just God's acts. He knew his ways. He knew where he was going because God gave him a vision. Now, letter B, you also need to know that not only is God's vision prophetic, but God's vision goes beyond the prophet himself. Because when he gave the vision to Moses and he says, see the land, he said, see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. It's not see the land that I've given unto you. I've given unto the children of Israel. So Moses at this point obviously knows that his personal involvement in this picture has ended. God was moving on without him. And can I tell you that a good leader knows when his particular role comes to an end. Because he has God's vision for the ministry, even if that ministry excludes him personally. That's important to understand. This is a common theme. It's found throughout the scriptures. Jesus did the very same thing in his high priestly prayer to the Father in John chapter 17 and verse number 4 where he prays and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now when Jesus prays this, by the way, he has yet to complete another work that he still has to do and that is the cross. He hasn't died yet in this story in John 17. But he has completed the work that is the context of John 17, and that is the discipleship and training of those men that he would leave behind to carry on the work. That is a work that was give, given to the Lord Jesus, and he worked it until he was done. And once he was done, well, he was done. His role in that work is over. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I've fought a good fight. I have finished, notice the word, my course. I didn't finish the entire course. The course is going on. But I finished my part in it. I kept the faith. Paul writes in Colossians 4, 17, and he says, And say unto Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. That thou fulfill it. Has God given you a ministry? Then God's given you that ministry that you are to take to its logical conclusion. And there can be a time when you have fulfilled your course. The ministry will continue. The players can come and go. And this is an important thing to understand. Concerning missionaries, for example, in this case, again, it's Paul and Barnabas. End of Acts chapter 14 and verse 26, it says this. And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God, what? For the work which they fulfilled. Well, these missionaries are now going back to the home church to make a report and to let them know, hey, the work that we were sent out to do, we, we, we finished it. Well, you say, well, how did they know? Isn't the Great Commission, I mean, it never comes to an end. There's so much more to do. Yes, I know, but the specific work that they went to do, they finished. How do you know they finished it? Well, back up a few verses to verse number 23. Because it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed, Paul replaced himself with sufficient qualified leaders that would continue the ministry in those particular locations. And Paul didn't have to be in those locations anymore. He had completed that work. They had fulfilled what God had asked them to do. 
You see, these deal with works that are particular and they're for a particular time. It's not necessarily the totality of their entire life. They may, these players, may have yet other work yet to do somewhere else in some other capacity with some other focus. So let me ask you a question. Why wasn't Moses able to take Israel to the next phase of ministry himself? Well, in verse 14, the Lord is actually quite clear. I, I was, quite frankly, a little personally disappointed that the Lord saw necessary to remind Moses of his failure. And why exactly? Oh, by the way, Moses, remember when you blew it? Yeah, when you blew it and didn't sanctify me. Remember, when you, remember that time in the water of the Meribah and the wilderness of Zin? Remember that? As though he forgot. I mean, the Lord did invite Moses up to the mountain. And he said, I'm going to let you see the land. And then you're going to sleep with Aaron. I mean, it's over. I mean, he knew, but he pointed out why. Well, in Moses' case, there was a consequence of sin. I, I, I get that. I get that. Okay, but if you just look at what is said specifically, the, the thing that God did emphasize is the most important, and we studied that story before. It's because Moses didn't sanctify God in the sight of the people like he was supposed to. In other words... If somebody finds, if, if, if a person finds themselves not making a big enough deal about who God is in front of God's people, well, that individual may find his ministry influence limited also. It just happens from time to time. But it's not always associated with sin. I, I understand that. Some men are chosen by God to do a particular work because they're particularly gifted for that. And they'll do that work that they're called to do very well, very effectively. Just like Moses in the wilderness, right? But they're not necessarily gifted or equipped to take the people to the next step. If that happens, listen, don't be hating on the guy who doesn't take you. Or don't be hating on the new guy that shows up, right? Just see the vision. Because at the end of the day, it means that God has something greater in mind for everybody. We should be able to roll with that, right? God uses each leader for the purpose that he has deemed necessary. So if we find ourselves in such a situation, can we just sit back and give thanks? Give thanks. Thanks be to the Lord. He's doing what he's doing. So once a leader has a clear vision of what God's doing... Well, now it's time for number two, and that's the selection. The selection. Moses gets the vision of the future. He knows that that vision goes beyond his personal involvement. So what does the good shepherd do? He continues to think of the congregation before himself, right? You say, well, what exactly does that look like? Well, it shouldn't surprise you. Letter A you begin with prayer. Of course you begin with prayer. Verse 15, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in. Why? Because I love these people, Lord. Please continue to take care of them. 
that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Okay, Lord, I don't get to continue anymore. You've got you've to provide somebody else. And when a man understands that his time is coming to an end, he understands that somebody else has to step up. How are you going to find that out? Moses knew that Israel needed a leader. Moses had more experience than arguably anybody ever that the people left to themselves would be a hot mess. They got to have somebody, Lord. Please, please, Lord, provide somebody. Right? So he asked God for a successor. And the way he describes it, it's interesting. He's, he's looking for a guy to be able to do what, well, he did for the last 40 years. And that's cool, of course. We should begin with prayer. Of course, we should ask the Lord. But the thing you got to get is, well, letter B. You begin with prayer, but then you got to let God pick. Right? Verse 18, notice. The Lord said unto Moses, take thee, Joshua. Moses recognized that there was a need. But God is the one who selected the man. God is the one who selected the man. This is key. This is important. Moses didn't just hand off the keys to the ministry to one of his sons, like a lot of pastors do. He didn't just call his best friend and say, dude, I got this spot open for you. It's kind of tough at times, but it's a sweet deal. You talk to the Lord a lot, whatever. He didn't do that. He just asked God for guidance, and God chose the man. That's Okay, that's obvious maybe. Maybe that's simple. Of course God should pick. But listen, you need to know why. You need to know why. Because at times, God may pick somebody you don't love. God may pick somebody that doesn't look like you were thinking. God may pick somebody who, you know, just doesn't, just don't sit quite, just doesn't fit quite as good as old Moses. You know? And you need to understand. Because God selects the new leader for a reason. It's not just Moses' sin. There's more to it than that. It's because now the mission has changed. You see, they are no longer just going to wander around like sheep. They're now going to cross over Jordan, and it's time to fight. It's time to fight. And whenever there's a transition in ministry, well, frequently what you're going to see is the new guy is going to be different in maybe some significant ways from the old. So in the case of Israel, Moses was perfect for caring, but Joshua was perfect for conquering. Moses was the guy who put up with all the whining and complaining. You think Joshua, the warrior, would have been good at that? But they needed a warrior to go in and to lead them because, oh yeah, Joshua was one of the spies. Joshua's been in the land before. You remember what he saw when he was in the land? Giants. And they all came back scared, and Joshua's like, let's go whip them all. He saw them. He's not afraid. Let's go do it. 
That's the man Israel needed to take them through into the promised land. Moses wasn't that man. Each gifted for a specific purpose. Each with a specific ministry critically important to that time in the life of the congregation of God's people. That's how much your God loves you. That's how much your God loves you. So can I say, on the authority of the word of God, don't get caught up comparing one to the other. Don't waste your time doing it. We've looked at this in weeks past also. I want to remind you again in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. Don't let yourself fall into the trap that's saying, well, he's this and you're not, and you're this and he's not. And he's that's, that's not wise. That's not wise. Can we not, like I said before, just praise the Lord for what he's doing? You see, because even 2 Corinthians 10 goes on to say in verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. The Lord decided it's time. It's time for Joshua to take him in and start to fight. Good job, Moses. You did fine. Your time's over. You see, this leadership replacement in the story of Moses and Joshua and Israel and wilderness and Canaan, it's, it's actually much more than just a, an accurate historical event. It's actually a picture for us to learn from in our lives as well. And here's the picture. Moses, who represents the law, can't bring you into the promised land. Only Joshua can, and Joshua represents Jesus Christ because the very name Joshua literally means Jehovah saves in Hebrew, and the name Jesus literally means Jehovah saves from Greek. Joshua represents Jesus Christ. Moses, throughout the scriptures, represents the law. The law can't get you there, folks. Jesus has to get you there. And that's why there needed to be a transition. That's why there needed to be a leadership change. That's why God needed to do what he did. Lest you think I'm pulling this on my own authority, let me remind you of Acts chapter 7 and verse 45. The sermon of Stephen, as he's preaching the history of the nation of Israel, in verse 45 he's preaching, he says, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Historically, he's talking about Joshua. But the Holy Spirit just decided to replace Joshua with Jesus because he wanted you to get the picture. But it's not just one witness. It appears in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 8. Again, historically referring to Joshua, it says, For if Jesus had given them rest, going into the promised land of rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Well, that was Joshua. Yes, that's the point. That's the point. The law can't bring you into victorious Christian living. Jesus has to bring you into victorious Christian living. 
So the leader has to have vision. God has to make the selection. Great. But really the most important part still yet is number three, and that's the installation. Okay, God making the selection, you can argue that's critically important. You blow that one, man, you're in trouble, of course. But can I also say that if this step is not carried out properly, it doesn't matter if God made the selection. The whole thing is going south. It'll be a disaster. The details of the transition are actually very important. And God gives us here literally the prescription of how to conduct a smooth transition in ministry. So there's several steps. Let's walk through them. Letter A, the existing leader introduces the new leader publicly. And so in verses 18 and 19, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest. Oh, and also set him before all the congregation. Moses is literally introducing to all the people, this is your next man. Moses had to do it. Now, in introducing the next man to the people, it is interesting. It is important that the existing leader who's at the end is the one who introduces the new one who's continuing. It's not some pulpit committee. It's not some other extraneous, you know, job headhunter business. No. The existing leader introduces the new leader. That's the way it's supposed to take place. And it assures a clean handoff when that happens. But this is more than just an introduction. Um, by the way, this is Joshua. No, he affirms his choice by laying thine hand upon him before all the congregation. It's the affirmation and the transfer of the authority from one to the next. So the existing leader introduces the new leader publicly, and let her be the existing leader then charges the new leader publicly. Because verse 19 goes on and it says, And give him a charge in their sight. Now the record of the charge that Moses gave to Joshua in the sight of all of Israel is found in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And so we'll read verses 7 and 8. Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that goeth before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. You can actually see this in several places. It does continue in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 23. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. So not only does the existing leader introduce the new leader before all the people, he charges him with the new task before all the people so that all the people know what the guy's supposed to do and what they're in for following him, right? This is really an Old Testament picture of what we would call today in the New Testament a biblical ordination. It's the laying on of hands of the presbytery on a selected chosen man by God and giving him a charge in the hearing of all the people. Actually, that's exactly what we read in verse 23 of Numbers 27. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. We see this, for example, with, Paul and, or with Timothy 
1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou might, uh, by them mightest war a good warfare. And so the idea is, is this ordination happened with Timothy. He's been given this responsibility, and well, now he needs to take that and understand the importance of it and go and run with it. In fact, this is such an important event, this idea of a biblical ordination and this transfer of authority. It's such an important event that once Moses is dead and gone and buried and Joshua carries the children over into the promised land, God stops him for a minute in Joshua chapter 1 and God himself reminds Joshua of the exact same charge that he had already received from Moses. Joshua 1.5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Proving that public ordination is holy, and it's of the Lord, and it's a milestone. It's something to be looked back upon. So let's move on. Let her see the existing leader now honors the new leader publicly. Verse 20, and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. So this sets up the new guy in the eyes of all of those that he will lead. It shows all the peoples. The real purpose of this is for the people, right? The position that he will now have, the same position that the previous leader had. And with all the honor and with all the responsibilities that go with it. Paul did the same kind of a thing with Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me, Paul said to the Corinthians. How are you going to pull that off? For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. So you need to follow me. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to send my guy because he's just like me. Amen. Paul with Onesimus, Philemon. Only one chapter, verse 17. If thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. This is the exact same kind of thing, right, that basically is going on with Moses and Joshua. Moses is saying to the crowd, look, receive him as you would receive me. That's what he's telling them to do. But the real reason is so that the people don't get messed up, so the people see the importance, so that the people give the new guy the honor and they follow him as they followed the previous leader that they've grown to love. And you know what? If that doesn't happen, well, it's, it causes some confusion. If the previous guy doesn't endorse the new one in that way, well, it causes well, a risk of a lot of murmuring and fighting from within and confusion. And while we don't read anywhere in the scripture anything about a congregational vote, I'm not trying to, you know, throw shade on Baptist church polity. But if there, a vote is called for because of the government of your church, well then, 
can I just recommend that you follow the leadership of the Lord as prescribed in this outline and don't be so foolish as to vote against what God would obviously be doing if this prescription is followed. That's an important thing to understand. Letter D, the existing leader now charges the people. He's not just charging the next leader, right? And that's really what all of Deuteronomy is. The whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses reminding the people of what they're in for going forward. And so we'll break this into two parts. It won't take that long. First, the leadership team. In Deuteronomy 31, we see Moses preparing the Levites. Now, the Levites lead in worship and in their connection to God and all of that. And I'm not going to take the time and read those verses in Deuteronomy 31, but Moses is charging the Levites, right, to basically do this. Keep doing what you know to do. Keep about the work of the Lord and continue to do it as unto the Lord, regardless of the other circumstances that you find. You guys have been here doing it. You know what you're doing. Just keep doing it. So it's important that the leadership team is on board. Then let her be the lay team. as We use it in the context of the laity, the common people, the, the people who are of the congregation, right? And then you can look yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 33 where Moses specifically goes through and blesses each and every tribe of Israel, reminding them of what is in, in store for them in the future. And in a church, well, the role of the body is to follow the leadership. That's what it is. And, and they are to honor the position, even if they don't think they know enough about the man, to honor the person. It's kind of like in the military. I was never in the military, but I'm told that the honor system that's required in the military is, is that you salute the uniform regardless of who's wearing it. You honor the position, not necessarily the person. And that's why this is so important. Each member in a ministry is critically important. We're a body. And each member is needed to do what they are supposed to do. Now the last point, and certainly very important, letter E, the new leader now is responsible to hear from God himself. Because, well, the truth of the matter is if he doesn't, all that set up, I mean, what does it matter? So in verse 21 we read, speaking of Joshua, he, Joshua, shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So with the assistance of other spiritual leaders, represented in this case by the Levites, Joshua needs to be sure that he continues to hear from God directly, that God is still the one who's in charge, that God is leading him to lead his people, and that that direction, as we read back in Joshua 1.8, has to come from the same place it comes from for all of us, and that's the word of the Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord, right? So at this point, everything has been set up for Joshua and this ministry to be able to succeed. The handoff was smooth. He's God's chosen man. But Joshua still has to walk with God. Joshua still has to continue to hear from God to carry out his directives himself. Because if Joshua falters at this point, well, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Like it did with King Saul. 
by the way. So, in conclusion, this lesson that we've covered, these principles that we've covered, certainly very important for anybody who would consider themselves a ministry leader. Anybody who's leading another group of people in any capacity, man, this is a really important lesson for all leaders. Don't just quit. Don't just leave. As much as it lies upon you, replace yourself, right, according to these steps. But this is an important lesson not just for leaders. It's an important lesson for the entire congregation because you need to recognize your role in any transition that might take place as well. I won't take the time to tell you. I could take some time and tell you about the transition that we affected back in Albania when my wife and I left that ministry in 2006 and moved to the States, and we had appointed the next pastor, who is still the pastor today. He's a great man, and uh, God has blessed the ministry. But when that time occurred, and he had worked with me for seven years, and everybody knew him, and he was gifted and capable in all the ways, yet he, as the new leader, was a little nervous. And because of the maturity of the body of the Tirana Bible Baptist Church, and the membership within it that understood the gravity of what God was doing in their midst, the maturity of the body of, of the church rallied around the new pastor to encourage and support him until he became comfortable in his new role. And that ministry continued to thrive and to grow, not just because the right man is in place, certainly that's true, but because the body helped it all come about by working together. And that's how it's supposed to go. So, if we make it very generalized as a principle of life for all of us, what would we call this effort? Well, you know what it would be. We call it discipleship, don't we? Because discipleship is the continual process of preparing the next generation to serve the Lord. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. It is the Great Commission. That's what it is. Discipleship is the ministry. That's what it is. If you're not involved in discipleship in some capacity, well, you know, your effectiveness in actual ministry is maybe in question. Ministry is people. We're investing God's word in people. And if we're not doing that, you may do a service that, it, that helps the church, and, and, and praise the Lord for that. But ministry is people. Ministry is discipleship. That's what it is. And proper discipleship is constantly and always preparing the next generation. They're always making them ready so that at any time as God moves the chess pieces around a little bit, there's somebody else ready to pick it up and go. Can I remind you that the book of Numbers from the very beginning of our study is written for us. It's written for our admonition. It's written for our learning. If we go back to Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, he says, this is he, referring to Moses, that was in, notice what he calls it, the church in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? With the angel which spake unto him in Mount Sinai, with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. He calls it the church in the wilderness. 
because it's a picture for us who are in our church, who are in our wilderness. And our wilderness is right here where we live. And we need to learn these lessons as well. Depending on where you're at individually is between you and the Lord. And if you find yourself continuing through some wilderness journeys and your stage of spiritual growth and maturity, that's fine. But just remember the purpose of the lessons learned in the wilderness. That we are to learn to trust the Lord through the trials that come into our lives. Things do not just happen by chance. There is a God in heaven. He loves us very much. And he allows challenges to come to see whether or not we will trust the Lord. Or will we take it into our own hands? So that then we can grow through all of those, learn all those qualities, and enter the victorious life and conquer. And that's missions. And that's next week. And the week after that. And I think the week after that. (laughs) And so... Having gone through these steps and this lesson and how God has shown us, I, I just want to finish with a very important announcement for you. No, I'm just playing. All right. Let's pray together. I don't have an announcement at all. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word and our hearing of it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, sincerely for each and every one of us. I pray that you would burn into our hearts the understanding that everything has a time, And everything has a purpose. And we don't always see it, but it's not always ours to have to see. You give vision to those who need to have it to affect leadership and to exercise then that leadership for the good of all people. So regardless of where each and every one of us find ourselves in this this story, Lord, may you be the Lord of all. May we glory in you. And just rejoice in the fact that you care so deeply for each and every one of us. That you have not left us as sheep without shepherds. But you have given us people to guide and to direct and to be examples. And we can check them out because we've got your holy word. And we can understand your word because we have your Holy Spirit. So I just want to pray. I just want to pray for everybody who's here that they would receive it as you would have them receive it. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help anybody. They're not saved yet. If they're not sure if their life ended, they'd have a home in heaven. Man, they would just surrender their heart to you and cry out to you for forgiveness. That's all it takes. Or come talk to somebody. We can help them. And maybe they're not involved in discipleship. And maybe they're not obedient. And maybe they've got other issues they're dealing with. I don't know, Lord. But wherever you've put your finger on their heart, may they respond. Let's just love and honor and submit to you as would make you proud. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up with me. We always wrap up.